We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're talking about a Nets win over the Magic 101-84. And also, the Nets clinched the playoffs. How are we feeling? That's that's the more important thing, Nick. The Nets are in the sixth seed. We will be facing the Sixers yet again. It's deja vu. It's history repeating itself. But hopefully, not for us Nets fans. And we can get a couple more wins and maybe even steal the series. But we might t- chat a bit more about the stuff beyond this game, look a little bit forward, look a little bit back because this game wasn't much thrown home about, but the Nets got the job done. The Heat lost to the Wizards. Six seed locked in. That is what matters, Nicholas. Yeah, it is. That's all that matters. And like you said, this was not an eventful game. Um, Orlando decided to rest a lot of key players for their rotation before this one. It just kind of dragged out. The Nets were able to push the lead pretty heavy in that second quarter. And that cushion pretty much gave them the win. You know, during the third, early and fourth, Orlando made a couple runs. But I don't think the Nets truly ever felt threatened. It's just they needed to step up a little bit, and they did that. Yeah, it got down to 10 at some point during that. It's that fourth quarter. Then it started like two of 10 from the field in the fourth. They hit a couple of threes, hit a couple of shots here and there. And look, there's not a lot of plays that we could really talk about. I think Clax was like superb, but Clax yeah. has been sensational. And all the stats do reflect it. Like a near 15-15 game for him. If only he hit the, had the one more point, but not a lot of like different player stuff. You know, the shooting was poor. It was just one of those games where you just get the job done and look to bigger things moving forward. And, you know, there's a, a mini preview. The Nets will be taking on the Sixers on Sunday evening, your time, Monday morning, my time. I don't know how much we're going to take away from that. We can have a chat about it, I think, Nick, because I think it's worth talking about, you know, is Mikael going to play? Is Spencer going to play? Is Cam going to play? Is DFS, Clax, all these guys going to play? Or the Nets going to go Indiana Pacers sort of with it and just sort of throw out the guys and just let the guys rest that, because I think the Sixers are likely to do that as well, to be honest. I'd be very surprised if they play Embiid, Harden. They probably will play Maxi. That's just my, my impression. But where do you want to go with this pot? Where are we starting? We're going to chat about this game at all. Let's just chat about Nick Claxton for another 15 minutes, and then we'll talk about some some other stuff because I know how much you love chatting about Claxi. I love chatting about Claxi. I could do a whole goddamn podcast, Patreon about him. <laughs> He's just been so damn good, man. Like, And I think it's... 
there's little tricklings here and there from certain Twitter platforms that are showing him some love that, you know, Nets fans have shown. And it's just like, well, ever since Katie and Kyrie were traded, like every national media platform doesn't really discuss him at all. Despite his block and stock numbers are out of sight. You know, he's, he's I think he leads the his, league. Yeah. He leads the league in stocks. He leads the league in games with three blocks or more. You know, he has five more of those than Jaron Jackson Jr. He also is putting up like historic numbers. I think he's like the first guy ever to have 10 points, two and a half blocks on 70% shooting or yep. something like that. That was from stat Muse. Like th- this is history right here. Like we are watching history from uh, a really special young player. It's been a hell of a season and one that is uh, a coming out for Nick Claxton. And it's been a, a goddamn joy to watch. Yeah, it felt like Clax got his hands on like every pass in this game. You know, they credited him with two steals. It felt like he definitely had more deflections. You know, like you said, 15 rebounds, four offensive, caught what felt like a million oops in this game. Obviously, Orlando, terrible. <laughs> Goga Badazi uh, as the center, you know, going against Clax wasn't really a match. So, I mean, it's nice to see his progress. Nice to see him get that final interview with the Nets clinching the playoff spot. And, that's really it. And hopefully he can continue this trend in the playoffs and take his game to the next level. And I think just there's been a ton of growth. I think looking at this Nets roster, obviously Mikel came at the trade deadline, but talking about just the guys that have been here from the first game of the season, no one's game has grown more than Nick Claxton this year. And you could even argue for the last couple seasons in Brooklyn, no one's game has really grown from year to year like Clax's game has grown this season. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the things we chat about, you know, the offensive game, we haven't really touched a heap, but I think both of you have touched on this on different platforms, whether it's on Twitter or, or elsewhere. But Nick Lax's free throw shooting has been really, really positive as well. Like since the trade deadline, yeah. somewhere in that sort of 65% range, hit both of his free throws again tonight. And that's something that we discussed at different points when we're doing the recaps about is our team's going to go hacker clacks. I don't think yeah. he can. And like both of us, because we are big investors and big believers in Clax City, we're like, I think Clax is going to like get his way through this. And I think he's yep. going to put the numbers up because he has a consistency in form. He has a consistency in backing himself and having that confidence. So that's another little thing that we haven't talked a lot about, but I think it's definitely worth bringing up because it's a big thing because last year's players against the Boston Celtics, you could have easily, you know, he was shooting something like 18% from the free throw line. He had all of 11 like- game and the Nets lost that game by like six or seven. Yeah, so that, that, that's a big thing. That's a that's a massive thing, and and now I don't think it's a strategy. You know, it's not Ben Simmons out there. It's it's Nick Claxton, and Clax City has the confidence to to get to the line. There's the confidence to do goddamn everything on that court. He's a he's a weapon, man. Yeah, I think that's it, Jack. I think it's the mentality. You know, he's not scared to go to the line. He embraces it. He wants the challenge. You know, unlike Ben, who's kind of avoided getting, you know, contact, avoided going to the foul line. Nick Clax, on the other hand, is embracing it and allowing that to be part of his game and kind of allowed him to grow. You know what I mean? If he was t- intimidated by the free throw line, he wouldn't have had the growth that he's had, especially with the way he's attacked the rim off the dribble this season and using those, you know, fake dribble handoffs. Yeah, his offensive game has been out of sight. Just the the comfort, the footwork, the hands, all those different things. Um, just looking back on this season is going to be a fun one and hopefully as a big postseason against the likely MVP and Joel Embiid. That's going to be fun for us to discuss. We'll be doing a massive, massive playoff preview in the coming days. We'll, we'll do a little bit tonight, but I think we'll look back on the season as a whole as yep. well as... I wanted to take this to Mikhail Bridges a little bit, Nick. Is it okay if we go there for tonight? Yeah. We can talk about his stats tonight. So tonight, 37 minutes, 7-24 from the field, 1-12 of 12 from 3, 7-9 from the free throw line, a number that I continue to enjoy. Five boards, two assists, two steals, the three turnovers, plus 14 for his 22 points. Now, 
I literally both of you and I were doing research off wax to see what his numbers have been like. And I know someone put out there his last three games, but now his last four games, he's shooting five of 36 from three, which is 14%, 35 of 99 from the field, which is a bit over 35%. There was a, a Jew, the point has come where there's been a, a mild Mikhail Bridges regression. How, if we're going to worry meter from one to 10, Nick, where would you put the number right now of your concerns around this mini Mikhail Bridges regression? 10 being super worried. One being not worried at all. Yeah, I'd probably say like a two. You know, I, I'm not very worried. I think some of the regression is obviously obviously going to happen, given he was shooting absurd numbers like superstar numbers. And you don't necessarily make that type of jump. You know, during just one season, there was going to be ups and downs. And even the best players in the league can go hot and cold shooting wise. But I think also some of this shooting regression is just fatigue. I think people underestimate the workload that he's had in Brooklyn, especially because they're still asking him to defend at a super high level. But on the other end of the floor, he's involved with a ton of plays, moving a lot off ball, seeing different coverages. Now there's a level of physicality where in Phoenix, it's like, oh, yeah, we can kind of let him do his thing or he might spend a lot of time in the corner. You know, now with the Nets, he's involved with a ton of actions and just asked to do a lot more. And I think that's kind of caught up to him as the season's ended. And I think this upcoming week is going to be huge for his rest. Yeah, I think I might go like a three, slightly more worried, but still not, you know, necessarily pulling my hair out or anything to, to that regard. I don't like the fact that he played 37 minutes tonight and Spencer played 36 in, in this win, which should have been more comfortable. But it seems to me that like 20 minutes tonight. I mean, the magic were that bad. The Nets, just to touch on the stat that you mentioned before, their three point shooting in this game, nine of 42. They should have shot at least 15 or 16 of 42. And the starters are playing half as many minutes. Yeah, and I think even there was a couple of minutes towards the end where I'm like, why is it like probably about the yeah. four minute mark, five minute mark where I'm just like, come on, Jack, let's 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 just do this thing. Like again, two minutes is probably not going to make much difference here or there, but if you get if you roll an ankle or you you sprain a muscle or, or, or strain a muscle, then you know you're going to be looking back on yourself. But in saying that, I I think that we're likely to see. You know, you've told me off wax, and I've certainly heard plenty about Mikel Bridges' desire to just keep his streak going. What is it going to be? His 83rd game that he'll yeah. probably play against the Sixers. I don't expect him to play 37 minutes. You and I, and I'll, I'll steal your thoughts, plays a bit of the first quarter, maybe does a Luka Doncic style, plays a little bit of the second as well. But I don't think he will play. I don't want him to play. And if the Nets do play him uh, for extended periods, then there will be emails and I'll be sending carrier pigeons to Barclays and Brooklyn and to Shaw Marks and Jacques Vaughn's house. But in saying that rest is going to be important. And if you're making the argument for the other side where you're going five or above, it's the timing of the regression. The fact that it's happening now at the end of the season, heading into the playoffs, that's somewhat of a concern. Yeah. You would rather him have that mini regression, you know, 10 games into his tenure. He works through it, gets his way out of it. So there's maybe an argument that can be made that, look, the timing of this isn't, you know, uh, something to write home about. But in saying that, I think that guys are allowed to go a little bit cold. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's not that level of superstar where he can put up 50, 60% numbers on 25-point shooting very consistently, but he's still putting up numbers. He's still affecting the game on both ends of the floor. The efficiency just has to improve. Yeah, and I think also the one thing that kind of benefits him going to the playoffs is like the playoffs are a different style of basketball. So it's almost like a full reset going to the postseason rather than just like, oh, this is an important 10-game stretch coming up. It's like 
he's going to play. It's going to be a different experience for him. You know, something he's never experienced because he's been to the postseason. He's been to the finals, but never as the key score. And I'm really interested to see how Philadelphia is going to deal with him and what type of situations they're going to put him in. And also, I think the physicality they're going to use against him is going to be huge. You know, P.J. Tucker, we know how annoying he can be in a playoff series. We know Joel Embiid will throw a hard foul, especially early in the game. They that can have a huge impact on Mikel, and I'm really interested to see how he reacts to all of that. Yeah, we'll definitely be diving deep into those matchups and and a lot of the different things in in the playoff preview. But one thing I I, I heard him sort of say on the CJ McCollum podcast yep. is that like he didn't expect this jump from himself, and I think that shows that you know, he's still figuring things out in terms of his own game because the opportunities that he's been given in Brooklyn just haven't been given to him, other than in very very small instances in Phoenix. So look. There's going to be maybe some poor games. Maybe we get another bad game in game one from Mikel Bridges. It doesn't mean I trust him less and don't want the ball in his hands. You know, I put out the the clutch shooting stat in terms of the, the field goal attempts, like Spencer shooting two and a bit free uh, shots uh, in, in the clutch and Cam Johnson shooting more than the Mikel Bridges, which is something that I was really surprised about and not necessarily happy about. But it'll be intriguing to see how things, because... In the playoffs, you know, it's the one-on-one matchups really do matter. It's the half-court sets that really do matter. But the Nets are going to have to find ways to, you know, out. Because, look, the Sixers aren't in the best of form. You know, Joel Embiid certainly is. But I think around him, uh, you know, the, the, the Sixers of a couple of years ago, I might have rated a little bit higher just in terms of their youth, their hunger, and just the depth that they did have. But in saying that, they are a much better team than this Brooklyn Nets squad, and we'll be discussing how the Nets can get this win. But Mikael Bridges, I'm I'm okay with it, but you know it would have been better if, if this regression had have happened a tad earlier. Yeah, or he finished the season with like a crazy game, you know, going like ten of twelve and like five of seven from three or something like that. But uh, you mentioned the CJ McCollum podcast. I thought that was a really good listen, and I liked Mikael talking about kind of his mindset and how it's changed in Brooklyn. How now when he looks up at the scoreboard, he knows that he. He has to get buckets for this team to kind of compete or win the game. And I thought that's important. I think that's a part of him still adapting to that as we progress into the postseason into next season. But it's nice to see that he kind of acknowledged the change in his role and how substantial it really is. Yeah, and it's going to be a big offseason for him. You know, we're not yep. looking that far forward because there's still plenty of basketball likely to go for the Nets. But in, in saying that, in terms of his mentality, we spoke about Nick Claxton. This guy's a worker. This guy has an insatiable hunger for basketball in a similar way to, to Kevin Durant. But yeah, I, I can't wait to see how he continues to grow within this season, within these players that are coming up, as well as beyond, because uh, I'm, I want him to be a net going forward for a long time. And I can't wait to see how he continues to grow, as we have seen with Clax. But We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of aggressions, Nick, Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't necessarily amazing tonight. And again, the shooting leaves a little bit to be desired. 2 of 11 from the field. I was 6 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. But another 14 assists from him. So I think that's like 11 out of 15 games. He's had 10 assists or more. Also the seven boards. It, Which is it, kind it's of a of, rare for Spencer to get over five boards. He's not very active on the boards at all. No, like other than Clarks, he led the team in rebounding. So maybe some of them just fell into his lap. A I feel bit like or, that has been happening a lot it, the last two weeks for him. And yeah, Daron Sharp sort of like taps them and they land in, in Spencer doing his laps, so like Stephen Adams used to do to Russell Westbrook. But in saying that, uh, while I, are you, would you say you're more concerned about like, say we're talking about shooting regression here and shooting efficiency here, about Mikhail or Spencer or neither? Yeah, I think uh, Spencer's always kind of a hot and cold shooter. So I think, you know, the Nets need Mikel to be a great scorer for them to have success, where Spencer can still have a really positive impact in the game, like you mentioned, with the 14 assists. And I think even he's been a little bit better defensively than he was with the Nets in his previous tenure. So I think Spencer's able to still have a positive impact. And I also think there's a drastic difference with Spencer doing when he's running the offense rather than anyone else on the team, just given his experience, his ball handling and his comfort. And yes, there's times where he over dribbles or takes too long to get into a set and drags out the shot clock. But at the same time, you know, the next best option is I don't really know. And, and they just don't do a good job. Like just looking at this game tonight, watching Spencer on the point versus Seth Curry, it's really night and day. Yeah, maybe the second best option is Royce O'Neal, Nick. You know, it, honestly, it, it might be. And and in in saying that, fourteen assists for for Spence tonight. He could have had twenty if the Nets yeah. shot the ball a little Truly. bit better from three. Like it, it could have been a, a ten and twenty game for him, and we might not have been speaking so much about our concerns. I I agree with you in terms of his hot and cold sort of shooting. I think it's about the free throw numbers, and to only take two tonight. I think it was more that when he was driving, he was kicking out a little bit more rather than taking the shots. So you know, if you watch the individual performance, I saw him kicking out to DFS and 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 some guys hitting shots and missing shot so it wasn't all on him and you know, he was throwing some passes to guys in the post and I still think this was an okay game from him and obviously 14 assists any game where you have 14 assists isn't going to be the worst game in the world but you know and I think it's about him getting those free throw numbers up and if the the efficiency of, of the team was better overall then Spencer probably looks better overall as well yeah, I think it was a terrible shooting game for him, but I think every other aspect was fine, you know, and obviously passing good. And like you said, easily could have had 20 assists, given we mentioned how many threes and that's missing. So an over 30 misses from three. Yeah, big time. It was just, uh, it was <laughs> on good was looks brisk. on good looks, too. I mean, some of them were a little early in the shot clock, but for the most part, this Magic team didn't play defense and that just couldn't hit. Yeah, Donald Glover was there. Maybe they got a little <laughs> bit nervous. I know if I, I saw Donald Glover in the front row, one of my idols, I would probably get nervous shooting in front of him. But 
any final game notes? Like I think Cam Johnson is probably the guy we can talk about a little bit before we get into a few little topics here and there. You know, Seth obviously took about – he always gets three-point three shots, uh, fouled on three-point shots as well. Those are the sort of probably two major things that stuck out. And I've got a Dayron Sharp stat that, that Zach Lowe revealed as well that I, I wouldn't mind throwing out there as well in terms of his rebounding. But another pretty – in terms of efficiency, other than the three-point shooting – uh, Cam Johnson and, and the four steals as well. Um, nice uh, nice little uh, contributing performance from him. Yeah, I thought it was a solid game. His three-point shot continues to be very inconsistent. It feels like one night, oh, he found his rhythm. He's back to being, you know, elite three-point shooter next night. Feels like he can't ha- hit anything. But again, you know, he found other ways to attack. Attacked on the closeout, got the easy dunk in this one. Had a nice pull-up from mid-range. Um, and as you mentioned, the steals being active in the passing lanes. And he's been... You know, an an impact on the boards, not necessarily a huge one, but still always kind of has a way to just kind of be involved down there. Yeah, and he seems to like dunk a little bit. Yeah, you know, and and I sort of like that because the ball will swing a little bit, and the Nets are trying to generate a good shot, and Cam just sort of like, I get the ball in my hands, I'm gonna like go straight line to the rack, and I like that. You know, he's done that quite a few times for the Nets, and he just seems to have confidence there. You know, we've sort of said that like, you know, his craft around the rim, his size, and you know, his handle isn't too bad. So, look. I think Cam Johnson is going to continue to be a guy that we're going to rely on to provide some semblance of offensive production, defensive production, you know, the sort of two-way stuff. And and him and him and Mikhail uh, have been performing really, really well since uh, becoming Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and I think, you know, he's another guy similar to Mikhail. It's going to be a big offseason for him. Obviously, contract is due, but there's just elements of his game that he can improve on and also how his role has changed with his team. And, you know, sometimes it can take a whole season to adapt or it could take a couple of weeks like Royce O'Neal, who's really excelled since the trade deadline. Yeah, I, a lot of people will <laughs> were throwing a little bit of sh- like shade at me, and deservedly so. I'm really happy I was able to... I eat some humble pie. You know, I didn't eat the humble pie when it came to Ben Simmons, but I'm happily eating it when it comes to Royce O'Neal. And I've we've given him plenty of plaudits. And I know that I was really skeptical about the trade and people were sort of, you know, throwing me under the bus. Deservedly so. You know, I made the, the wrong assumption about giving up that first rounder. I think Royce has been great. And I think he it, it's, it's a lot of... The, the, I just didn't know he had so much else to his game as well as just the the heart and sort of soul thing that we get from Mikhail and Cam and this sort of personality that it, that infuses into the rest of the team as well. Yeah, he's been super, 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 super. Yeah, it always has a smile on. You know, he just seems like he's a good teammate, a guy that you'd like to have on your squad. And I think he's really found his perfect role post-trade deadline. I think him as a six-man really works because, as you mentioned, he does so many things on the floor. He comes off the bench. Oh, we can give you a little three-point shooting. He can give you a little bit of ball handling. He can, you know, bring the ball up, pass the ball. You know, defensively, is going to play with a lot of energy, is going to provide a level of toughness. He's been involved in the rebounding battle a lot. You know, he's had double-digit rebounding games. So it's just like he's that guy that has a little bit to his game and he'll step up in the area maybe where your team needs it the most. You know, sometimes yeah, maybe it's not the three-point shooting. Sometimes it is, as we've talked about all season long. Yeah, he hit that massive, yeah. massive three where it was like 35, 40-foot. He's you know, clutch, too. Yeah, he is. He just he's a, he's like if we're talking about you know points and efficiency in the clutch, I might need to look up Royce O'Neal. But in saying that, Nick, any final game thoughts on this one before you know I've got a couple little topics to throw at you. Yeah, I think this was a forgettable, meaningful game. 
Yeah, forgettable, meaningful game. The win, it was meaningful. The performance itself, not necessarily. But I wanted to touch on this little stat, and you can really react to it how you will. Zach Lowe on his podcast said that Daron Sharp is on track to post the highest offensive rebounding rate in a season in NBA history with 21.4% of misses. Daron Sharp is rebounding when he is on the floor. Like, that's that's a stat, Nick. That is a stat. Yeah, it really is. And I, I saw this, I think, a couple of days ago as well or heard it on the podcast. And it just makes you think about Daron Sharp and his best skill is still rebounding. But it's also like I'd love for that to be defensive rebounding percentage rather yeah. than offensive rebounding percentage, because obviously like the offensive rebounding stuff is more of just like a bonus where defensive rebounding, I think, is more important. And I think it would be more significant for him as you know, uh, a good NBA player where that's kind of like his quote unquote, like superpower or go-to skill is offensive rebounding. And in the bigger picture, it's really not that important. Obviously it's nice, but at the same time, when you're, when you're constructing a team, it's not like I need an offensive rebounder. That's kind of just an add on at the end. Yeah. It's not like you're looking for a Reggie Evans to add yeah, to your yeah. stuff. I um, mean, at this point in time, that's kind of like his career trajectory. <laughs> Yeah, and look, I think that we've had plenty of praise for Darren Sharp, and he's in the infancy of his career. So just a hell of a stat from him, and, and, and huge kudos to what is a skill that he is. He is truly, truly elite at, not just as a rookie, but within the NBA. But another little tidbit of news, Nick, is that the Nets are converting a David Duke Jr.'s 2A to a standard one. Uh, a roster spot is opened up after the Nets let Moses Brown contract expire. You responded to this one on Twitter. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I think David Duke Jr. has been a guy that's impressed us since we saw him in Summer League, where, you know, he kind of came in and you looked at him and you're like, you know, maybe he can be an NBA player. It looks like he has the tools, he has the athleticism, he has the energy and the engagement and just really put it all together. I know he had a really good G League season for the Long Island Nets, and we've talked about is really the difference between him being a, a good NBA rotation player and not is his three-point shot. And I think he now has another summer to work on that to get to just league average because his other skills are good enough. You know, he's a really good rebounder for his size. He plays with great energy. He can handle the basketball. He can drive to the rim. He can dunk the ball. He can attack. It's just... Can he knock down open threes? That's going to be the the next step for him to being part of an NBA rotation. Yeah, he's sort of got, you can look at the trajectory of Bruce Brown and, and his career and, and how that's sort of taken as, as a mold to sort of look towards. But yeah, happy for DDJ. I think this happened to Kessler Edwards as well last yep. year when the Nets waved at James Johnson. So Very similar time too. Very, very similar time. But at, w before we get to the final topic, Nick, I wanted to ask you about the new core City Edition jerseys for next year and... Look, obviously, we're not a video podcast. We have been in, in the past. But for those who haven't seen the jersey, check it out. Just type in Nets Cause and on Google and, and it'll come up. And it's loud. The lettering is interesting. The color, you know, there's some aqua, there's some gray, there's some red and very bright sort of reddish pinkish. Uh, the, the jersey isn't great, but you made a good point that I totally agree with. And I'm, I'm wearing Nets shorts right now. These shorts that actually look quite cool, though. Yeah, I think they'll have better merch rather than jerseys for this. You know, yeah. I think with the colors and everything, they can do a lot. And even with the lettering, I think on certain designs and hats and stuff like that, it might pop. It's just the jerseys don't look amazing. But it, we've also said that in the past. And then we see them on the court with a court design. And we're like, oh, actually, this kind of works. So I won't I won't shoot it down yet. But uh, it's definitely doesn't have a ton of promise at this point. 
Yeah, Swamp Dragons, bring them to us. <laughs> yeah, that, and that would be historical. Everyone wants the Swamp Dragons. All Nets fans around the world from Australia to the Northern Hemisphere. Final one, Nick. Uh, shout out to Will Jackson for throwing this out there as just a sort of retrospective on the 2022-23 Nets. Let's just start off in each with each little dot point. And, and obviously, there's only 280 characters that Will was able to get out there. So they started with an NBA worst, one in five. Steve Nash was fired. Kyrie was suspended for eight games for being an anti-Semite. Nets win 80 the next 20. Katie hurts his knee. Nets lose 700 next 11. Kyrie requests the trade. Cam drops 40 in three straight games. Kyrie and Katie are traded. Bridges is becoming a superstar. And the Nets have finished with the sixth seed. Like, there's a lot of stuff in between there, but that alone is a podcast series. Yeah, that feels like three seasons. <laughs> it, it really is incredible. This is all one season. It's just so much drama, so much going on, on and off the court. And I think what's going to be lost in this whole thing is the 20 game stretch where they went 18 and two, and they look like they were going to be a championship contender, you know, maybe one big trade at the deadline to add that next piece. And this discussion we're having right now is, you know, are the Nets going to win an NBA championship? You know, do they have enough to beat Boston, Milwaukee? And, you know, who are they going to match up if they get to the finals from the Western Conference? That's all kind of happened over the course of the year. And even getting back to the way the offseason went, I think, too, is just like you have two trade requests from your superstars and then you end up having two trade requests from your superstars again during the season. It's just a lot, a lot going on for one team in one essentially calendar year. Yeah, I don't think... I, I can't expect myself or Nets fans to just truly process the past three years, the past season, the past 45 games, whatever you sort of want to process. It's just like, this is just a lot. Like, if you're going through it piece by piece, like the Kyrie trade alone, the KD, the off-season stuff, and then just everything that's happened in between. And, and now we're seeing Mikhail sort of like make us sort of, you know, forget all of the... The, the awfulness, and it's like all Nets fans have Stockholm Syndrome. We just, like, continue to love this team. I know you and I especially are, like, ravaged with Stockholm Syndrome because we record every podcast <laughs> three a week, two a week, every single goddamn game. But it's a lot, as you alluded to. Um, the journey has been – it's unfinished, and I don't know where it's going to finish and where the ride's going to stop. The roller coaster hasn't been very fun a lot of the time. There's been a lot of ups, plenty of downs, but we're moving on. We're into the playoffs. We've got that sixth seed. We move forward, Nick. We move forward. Yeah, a new chapter, like I said, kind of a reset going into the postseason. And I think even you mentioned like the the peaks and the valleys, the highs and the lows. You know, it's even just for the whole season, but even the different segments, you know, thinking post-trade deadline, we have the win over Denver to that devastating loss to the Cavs. You know, that, I mean, I'm not going to lie. After that loss, I was like, I really don't know what to make of this season. And here we are with the sixth seed clinched. And we'll be talking about the Nets for Sixers on the next podcast. Can't wait for it, mate. Can't wait for it. I can't wait for every podcast we get to share together. And we'll, we'll continue to move forward. Nets world, that's what it's about. Yes, sir. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com